thank you for coming on the podcast, Chris. I'm going to set you up here. So throughout her career, Chris has consistently created strong operating results for companies ranging from startup to Fortune 50, including premier organizations such as Cox Communications, Verizon Communications, Sprint Nextel, the National Basketball Association, and fan-controlled sports and entertainment. As a senior executive, she has held P&L responsibility for up to 1,000 employees and $1.5 billion in annual revenue. Chris currently serves as the Chief Commercial Officer and Head of Strategy for interactive media company, fan-controlled sports and entertainment, overseeing strategic partnerships, betting, and league strategy. She also recently served as Chief Financial Officer of the Special Purpose Acquisition Company, SPAC, Omnichannel Acquisition Corporation. In February 2019, Chris was appointed to the Board of Directors of Ryman Hospitality and is also a member of the company's audit and uh, NOMGov committees. Ryman is the proud owner and operator of the Grand Ole Opry Ryman Auditorium, Old Red, in partnership with Blake Shelton and the Gaylord Resorts and Hotels. Got that. <laughs> Previously, Chris launched and led the National Basketball Association's direct to consumer business globally. She also established and led the corporate development practice in media and entertainment for global telecom leader Verizon, ultimately acquiring over $5 billion worth of assets over the span of three years. Chris serves on her business school's executive advisory board at Old Dominion University since 2012. Chris grew up in Colorado, has moved around the U.S., both during her husband's service in the U.S. Navy, submarine force, and her own career. She holds a bachelor's degree in Spanish and a master's of business administration from Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. She and her husband have lived in the past, have lived the past 10 years in Summit, New Jersey, and have one son who attends Cornell University's Dyson School and competes on the university's varsity track team. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, that was a lot. I tell you, <laughs> I got a, I got a slight, I got a slight NBA sweat going. <laughs> hey, I appreciate appreciate being on the show. Well, uh, let's let's start. Uh, let's just start with the current responsibility and role. Like, what are you up to these days, and how are you spending your time? Yeah, so I am currently the chief commercial officer at Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. And uh, for for the viewers and listeners that uh, don't know what that is, we launched a couple of years ago, and we are a real live sports league with real live athletes, but it's a little bit like a video game. And so what happens is fans get to call the plays, they get to make big decisions, they get to draft their players every week uh, to the team. And so we started with American football was our first league that we established. And we have since announced that in 2023, we are not only going to be doing American football, uh, but we're also going to be doing fan controlled hoops. So I'm super excited. Um, Fans will get to make decisions uh, about the game. Uh, that'll be a little bit like NBA Jam for anybody that used to play video games back in the day and uh, has played NBA Jam. It's going to be like a live version of that with real live athletes and some really cool technology. So um, that's what I'm up to right now. And then, you know, you mentioned I I sit on a board uh, for a public company, also uh, involved in advising some early stage startups across tech and media, sports, uh, really just to keep my kind of my knowledge 
sharp and my my skills there. Uh, and so it all kind of works together somehow in a portfolio of activities. I love that. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. So like, what's a day for you in the life? Like what's, how are you spending your time? Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, the majority of my time every day is spent on fan controlled sports and entertainment. And, you know, I'm focused on driving our strategic partnerships from our TV partners to carry our live games uh, through to our brand partners that want to associate their brand with us and our live games in order to market to their uh, fans or consumers. Um, in addition, I, you know, help establish our betting partnerships, our sports betting partnerships. And so that's where I really spend my time is with the team of individuals that that I work with uh, to deliver on those results. In addition, I spend, you know, kind of, I, I work for a, a West Coast based company, uh, though we're completely remote. A lot of the activity happens around West Coast business hours. So it gives me early mornings uh, to do other activities related to my board and to advising, as well as evenings. Um, and as you mentioned in, in my bio, you know, our, we have one son and he goes to Cornell. And so, you know, he does get home a little bit, uh, but, but, you know, really I have a lot of free time. And so I'm able to use both my evenings and my early mornings to do some of these other activities. Um, and in the end, I mean, the way I think about it is having a portfolio of activities that are all related to media, entertainment, sports, technology, it's all related. And so what it does is makes me better at the total picture because I'm learning things in each one of these experiences and contributing things in each one of these experiences that then relates to other work that I'm doing. Um, so I, that's kind of how I spend my time and how I think about balancing a portfolio of activities. So it's almost like the sum of the parts is like greater than the whole in a way, because you're, you've got like different activities, but they all kind of ladder up to like this one, like consistent theme with your career, which has been like media, entertainment, technology, where those, you know, worlds collide a bit. Um, and we're getting towards the end of the year. This is, you know, whenever you're going to hear this is going to be 2022. Um, can you talk about maybe what has been, what's your best decision for this year? What was a big decision you made that had a big impact on the year? Hmm. Uh, so as far as kind of a big decision, uh, that I made on in 2022, um, you know, I would say that, uh, some of the work that we've done with fan controlled sports and entertainment has been really pivotal. And so, uh, I would say that, uh, making the decision to get more involved on our partnership side, uh, has been really important. Uh, in that I've been able to take what we're doing on the TV side and really connect that with the brand partnerships. And so that was something I took on earlier in the year, uh, agreed to add to my responsibilities. And I think that's been really interesting because again, you can think about it holistically. And one of the things that I think is really important when you think about marketing or growth or uh, commercial efforts is thinking about how you can solve really critical problems. And so being able to go to the brand partners and say, okay, you know, here's the kind of exposure that you're going to get with our brand. We know that you're trying to reach a younger audience, which, you know, our, our audience is 25 years old on average versus some of the traditional sports. Their, you know, audiences are anywhere from 42 to 62 years old, kind of on average. 
And so we've got a much younger audience, which I know a lot of the brand partners are really trying to reach these days, um, trying to get that younger audience. And it's an elusive audience that you know likes what they like and they don't like anything else and they don't want to be marketed to, but they really want to be in these authentic experiences. So I think you know certainly getting involved in that and being able to link all that I'm doing uh, with the company to really build solutions with partners, I think has has been really interesting. Yeah, that's great. What about like your skill set? What what would you say are some skills that people wouldn't know that you have, or what skills you know most people don't necessarily know that you have, but like that you enjoy doing? Yeah, you know, I would say, I mean, probably for me, the underlying um, <clears throat> characteristic or skill is just my curiosity. Like, I love there is not a messy problem that I don't enjoy tackling. Um, because I like the intrigue of, you know, why is this this way? What do I have to do to solve it differently? How has it been solved in the past? Why is it a problem now? Like, is it a problem that was fixed and wasn't sustained? Is it a new problem that came about because of technology and the, the time of life that we're in? You know, how did this problem come about and how do I help solve it? And that's both organizationally. So if it's in an internal process, um, I like thinking about things that way, like, hey, you know, could this be done better? If so, why, why is it not being done that way? Um, what are some of the holdbacks to doing it differently? And then similarly, when you think about partners, you know, what is it that the partner is trying to achieve and what are they, what should they be trying to achieve that maybe they don't even know that you could help them achieve? Um, and so can you suggest that? And can you ask questions around that? So I, you know, I, I really, I come at everything with a curious nature. I was once told by somebody, uh, a friend in, in business, uh, she said to me, you know, you ask so many questions and I, and I thought about it and I thought, okay, I guess I do. Right. But it's because I'm really curious. Like, I just want to know. And so we were flash forward. We were on a business trip, um, in Africa actually. And, um, she called me up in a panic and said, we've got to be at a certain place at a certain time. I don't have all the details. I don't know exactly how we're getting there. You know, do you know? And I said, yeah. And so I told her the answer, you know, like, here's when we got to be there. Here's where we got to meet up. And so then we laughed. I said, I ask a lot of questions. Okay. So I know the answers, yeah. um, but in all seriousness, that's a very practical, you know, explanation, but um, in all seriousness, I think it, it really helps when you can go into something curious and not jump to conclusions immediately or not jump to answers immediately, but first ask enough questions so that you've got some real context. Um, I think you end up with better solutions, better processes, better engagement with your team inside the organization. Um, so that's that's probably my single favorite skill that I think I have is just a curiosity. No, that's great. And what about like development of your your top skills? How are you how are you getting better at um, what you do? How, where do you go to you know sharpen the knife? Yeah. So you know. I think, um, and probably differently in more recent years, as I get further and further in my career, one of the things that I think I do differently that I wished I would have done earlier was um, I accept roles that someone close to me thinks I'm capable of that I may not believe I'm capable of. And so before I would have said, no, nah, I'm not ready for that. I, that's not really me. Um, 
But what I've learned to do, and you know, you mentioned uh, me serving as a CFO on a SPAC. Uh, that was a recent one where I would have never imagined myself serving in that role. And it's very different than being a CFO in an operating company, but nonetheless, it's very financially oriented. And I wouldn't envision myself there. I'm financially astute. I can, you know, find my way around PL, the PL and the financial statements in order to manage a business, but I'm not a CFO. That being said, someone from, you know, that I've known for a number of years called me and said, Hey, I really want you to do this for a SPAC that I'm launching. Would you be open to it? And my first in instinct was to say, uh, I don't think so. Um, and he, but he said to me, don't say no until I explain to you why I have this in my head that you would be great at this. And so I let him explain and I thought, you know, that's really interesting. And so I did it despite being really uncomfortable and really out of my wheelhouse or what I considered my wheelhouse to be. And I ended up being really good at it because I did what I always do, which is if I'm going to take something on, you're going to get my full commitment and I'm going to be successful. I will use resources. I will ask questions. I will put in the homework, whatever, but I will get there. And so I would just say that the thing that that I have started to do to really sharpen my, my skills is take more risk and get out of my comfort zone, stretch myself into roles that you know maybe I don't see, wouldn't have seen myself in, but that somebody else does that I trust um, and really going for it, you know? And what was the biggest challenge with the SPAC? Like, I know there's, you know, there's headlines I read about it, but from you being in the driver's seat, what was like the biggest challenge when you were working on that? Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, for me personally, it was learning about the regulation and the processes and the financial um, kind of structure because it's a publicly traded entity. Um, you have to, you know, follow different SEC guidance. And so tracking that, making sure you're in compliance, that was probably the, the most difficult piece was learning all of that. Um, from a, being part of a SPAC, I think one of the things that was really interesting was, you know, the market definitely changed in that time frame, And so it made it, it made it more difficult to navigate and use that as a successful tool. Uh, the platform itself, a SPAC uh, is a great tool for companies that want to go public, uh, but want to Yeah, can you it. break down what a SPAC is for the listeners? Absolutely. So it's, uh, it stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. And so what that means is uh, the SPAC, basically goes and raises money uh, through an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange, for example. They launch that company, it becomes a public entity, and its sole purpose is over the next 18 to 24 months of time to go and acquire a company that wants to go public, that's ready. You kind of acquire it, if you will, or combine with it as the SPAC. The SPAC then, you know, in essence, gives its public company status to the company that it's combined with. And then the, the SPAC itself dissolves that, you know, management structure and governance structure dissolves and it becomes the new operating entity. Um, and so it's challenging, right, with the, the economic situation and so much change and volatility and so forth. It's been a, a challenging couple of years in that space, uh, but certainly a, a great path 
in the right economic situation and with the right company, the right timing, that type of thing. So really interesting uh, financial mechanism, uh, but and, and a great learning for me personally to be involved with. And Chris, you and I, we share a great connection point. Not only did we both go to Old Dominion in Norfolk, but we were also on the EAC board. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your work as it relates to board service and how you think about working with so many different personality types? How do you think about different objectives and goals, managing the different expectations, whether it's uh, at your alma mater or if it's you know for a public company? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, board service to me is a little bit in, in line with what I talked about, kind of getting stretched out of your comfort zone in the sense that, you know, if you're an operator of companies or divisions or, you know, uh, particular functions in a company like I am, you're every day making decisions that are both strategic and tactical. You're in the weeds, you're in the moment, you're leading people, you're, you know, making decisions directly that type of thing. Very often when you're on a board, either an advisory board, like we serve on with the EAC or on a public company board, you're not there to make the day-to-day -day decisions, but you have a very different purpose. And so in the case of when you serve on a public company's board, um, your role is to look out for the, the shareholders, you know? And so you're really there kind of ensuring that the best outcome is happening based on shareholders' needs. Um, in the case of the EAC, similarly, you're thinking about kind of the alumni base, you're thinking about the future students, you're thinking about the university and endowment. And how do you, you know, how do you make sure that you represent what's best for the university in that context? And so uh, to me, it's it's uh, it's very fulfilling and gratifying in the sense that you get to sit at a strategic level. Uh, you get to meet a lot of really interesting people. You get to think about bigger topics that maybe in your day to day role uh, with your day to day job you don't necessarily think about or don't have to think about. Um, and so it really does let you take everything you've ever learned and worked on in your life and apply it at some point. Um, to thinking about what could be right for this particular entity that you serve on. So, you know, I, I encourage it because I think it's almost like, um, you know, if you're, if you think about physical fitness, if you always ride your Peloton, there are going to be a lot of muscles you don't develop. And so it's about really kind of developing different muscle sets so that you're well-rounded um, from a fitness perspective. And I think it's the same from a career perspective, making sure that you're you're exercising those different muscles that are needed for board service versus operating roles. Yeah, no, that all sounds, you know, consistent with like the way I see it. I, I feel like you know, there's definitely like a comfort zone that we can get in, whether it's in our careers or um, just like within a line of industry and or an industry that we're in. So if you can get out of that and get around like something different, it stretches us and it grows us. Um, what about like partnership? Partnership. I want to tie it back in a little bit. You know, our our company is focused on the production and manufacturing of bags and accessories, and they're all made from upcycled materials. So we have this, you know, ESG focus, this kind of, you know, we can help companies in a sustainable procurement focus. And so we've done several partnerships, but I'm curious to hear from your end, 
where you sit at the table, what do you look for in the partnerships when maybe the company is not like a large company, like a big Fortune 500 company, but it's a smaller company, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're looking to do partnerships from your seat at the table. How do you evaluate these types of partnerships and what type of things do you look for in order to get it as a consensus to get a uh, deal across the table, let's say? Yeah. So I think, you know, in, in specifically in context with uh, fan controlled sports and entertainment, probably the singest big, single biggest filter that I use for determining who might be a good partner for us uh, is really about who can help create the best experience for the fan. And so, you know, I think um, really knowing your consumer or your fan and understanding what it is they want. And then we basically ask ourselves, Hey, is, you know, for example, if we're going to bring a sponsor in to our live game, we want more than just to put a logo on the floor or a logo on the, the running boards on the side of the field. You know, we really want them to integrate and interact with our fans because we're such an interactive sports league. And so it's really important that they almost have that same kind of DNA or at least have a, a, a need or a wish to become more interactive and they can add something to the fan experience. Because what I don't want is it to be blatantly commercial and particularly a young audience like we have feeling like, oh, they're advertising at me. Why are they why are they yelling at me, you know, shouting this stuff at me? Instead, I want them to feel like it's really part of the experience that there are cool benefits that come by having this partner associated. Um, you know, uh, as an example, uh, we have a, a particular fast food partner that uh, our quick service restaurant partner that uh, it does a meal of the game. And so each team has voted, the fans of each team have voted and have identified what the, the team meal is going to be. And so at some point in each live game of football that we play, uh, there is a moment, there's a delivery moment where those meals get delivered up to the owner's boxes. And so it's a fun way that fans got to decide like what is in that bag that's getting delivered to the owners, you know? And so it really just kind of takes our whole like mindset and the experience we're trying to create and then augments it in a way. Um, so I think that's really important when you're thinking about partners is who has, who have, you know, which of your partners have that similar DNA and where do you have really similar outcomes that you're trying to drive? Uh, because then getting the results becomes very easy, right? When you both believe in it from the same perspective and you both want to accomplish similar things that are related that you can do in a partnership, um, then, then it becomes obvious and it becomes really easy to achieve the results. And to hit on the financial piece a bit, because it seems as if we've seen these cycles, you know, from 2008 and uh, prior to that, and it seems as if we're in a, another one now and, you know, the market is going in uh, different directions, if not down, it's up and, you know, there's tough times ahead, let, uh, you know, the experts call it, but how do you, where, where do you go in these um pockets of, you know, cycles that we have with, you know, maybe your skills or, you know, in your career and, and what have you seen others do like the business units that you're a part of, how have they, how, how do they uh, behave? Do they double down and buy more stuff in the sense of like, you know, more, more labor, more people, or maybe more, you know, 
equipment because things are more affordable because everything's half off because the market's down or are they being you know careful during those times and making sure they keep a nice war chest so that when things do rebound they're in a positive position just broad strokes how do you weather recessions <laughs> yeah you know i think and I, I think it's something similar that you do in your business naturally which is i think knowing who your your audience is or your customer or your fan however you refer to them you know knowing who they are and what they want and two being really clear about what problem you're trying to solve I think one of the things you can risk is trying to, to diversify too much, lose your way, and not really solve a problem because you're chasing the market or you're chasing money or whatever. Um, so in our case, with fan-controlled sports and entertainment, uh, we're very focused on creating that next generation of fan experiences for sports lovers. And so there's been, as an example, there's been a lot of talk that you know, the younger audience or next generation of viewers for sports, they are not watching two and a half hour, three hour full length games. And so we are really focused on how do you create an experience? You know, sports isn't going away and live sports, certainly not look at the world cup and, you know, different, different Olympics and all these different major worldwide events that kind of stop everything when they're on. Um, they're not going away. However, the consumption is changing. And so to us, it's really, how do we engage the fans? We've shortened the length of our game to one hour. Uh, so it's a very quick kind of game. It's also very interactive. There is no leaning back. There's no stepping away from the TV to go do something else, you know, to come back and check a score because you're in it, you're making decisions. And so in that example, that to me weathers recession because where there's a real problem that you're solving or a real appetite that you're solving, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, and you're really clear about that, all of a sudden the recession is is less of a concern, I think. So much like the the bags and, and products that you create out of upcycling, you know, it's such a concern right now with the environment and people do want responsible goods. And so the fact that you're, you've just so readily nailed that on the head and that's what you stay focused on and drive. Like, I think that's really important to weathering the recession. No, that's awesome. And, you know, you, you said something I'm curious about, you know, whether it's uh, NBA or, you know, other organizations, what would a brand like out? And, and I've seen some of like, I would say, you know, contemporaries of ours have like either collaborated with either the NBA or with like several of the teams what type of work or what types of things would get them noticed in order to um, be able to collaborate or be a partner? What What is it from your time there or just in your sense? How do you look at those partnerships? Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, uh, really thinking about what is going to make uh, your product or your service unique, one, uh, two, thinking about how uh, your product or service maps directly to the NBA, for example, the NBA's audience. And, you know, is it a good audience fit? Are they going to see it that way? Uh, and then together with, is it a unique service that they don't already work with uh, or product? And then um, third, you know, I think having a smart business model you know, everybody wants to know that uh, they're doing business with somebody that's sustainable, 
that they've got a good business model, that they're not here today, gone tomorrow type thing. And so really being able to tell your story, um, I think that's important, you know, and, and that storyline, I think, uh, you know, they, I remember hearing a stat that when you make a presentation, uh, there is like 85% higher uh, retention of the the presentation if you tell it in a story format. And so it just says like, you know, have a story. Like, why did you get into what you're doing? How did you get to here? And like, why is it super cool? Because, you know, if you think down the line, the NBA or some entity like that is going to want to understand that because that's what their fans want to know. People resonate with athlete stories, with how the league got made, you know, that type of thing. And so if you think of 30 for 30 or, you know, hard knocks, whatever, we all kind of gravitate towards those really cool stories that have, you know, both ups and downs and, you know, but they have staying power and persistence and, you know, everybody loves a good story that's got the ups and downs and the person comes out a winner. You know, we all love that, right? So I think, you know, making sure you've got a really good story, a sustainable business model, unique product, and that there's a, a good fit with the audience is a way to get to some of those major league sports and, and entities like that. Yeah, that's great. And what about like your like consumption? Are you a reader or are you do you read books, if any, that you would recommend or any ones that have had a good, um, let's say, impact on you and how you have shaped your philosophy? Um, you know, I would say I um, so I'm all over the map as far as the reading I do. And I don't necessarily care to do business reading because I feel like every day I do enough reading of materials, presentations, things coming at me and so forth. And so I, you know, I, I kind of choose to get those learnings elsewhere. Um, but the uh, one book that I absolutely love, and it's more about my own mindset, uh, is The Four Agreements. And so it- you Don know, Miguel it, Ruiz or something that, Exactly. And so for the, you know, the listeners, it really speaks to uh, the four things you've got to kind of rules that you've got to accept or agree to with yourself. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's very helpful because it helps you in business relationships, personal relationships, helps you in your communication style, that type of thing. So absolutely love that book. And it's kind of like a daily reminders book that you can go back to again and again. You don't have to read it, you know, uh, sequentially, you can read it out of order or whatever, but that's, that's one of my favorite books that I always come back to. That's great. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Do you have any goals or anything you see yourself achieving between now and then that maybe we can track together and we can look forward and, you know, we'll say, gosh, like she said she was going to do it and she did it, you know, something like that. Absolutely. So at some point I would love to, uh, run a company. And so I would love to be a CEO at some point. Um, and, you know, really have looked at my career as putting together all the different pieces and components that are needed in order to make that happen. Um, so that's kind of one piece. Uh, I also say, and I don't, I don't know, I sometimes have second thoughts about it, but I always say that I want to own a bed and breakfast at some point. 
and have recently said would love like a winery and a lavender field and that type of thing. So uh, we'll see, but that's something probably that's, that's later in life uh, that I think that'd be a lot of fun to do just because I love, uh, love hosting people and creating experiences and, you know, really kind of transforming a space or a time for someone. Um, so yeah, so we'll see. Those are a couple of, of goals that I have out there. Love that. Chris, this has been a great pleasure. I really appreciate your interview. And where can the listeners follow you and keep up with you? Yeah, you know, so uh, LinkedIn is probably a good place to to find me. Um, so Chris Pantoya on LinkedIn. And um, would love to uh, to keep in touch as, you know, as your journey unfolds as well. I certainly love watching what you're doing and uh, wish you guys big luck over there. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.